step into an exciting, colorful, wonderfully new world as Walt Disney brings to glowing life the adventures of Alice in Wonderland based on Lewis Carroll's beloved story. There are wonderful tunes for your heart, wonderful thrills for your eyes as you share with Alice the wonderful things she sees, the wonderful friends she meets. Tweedledum and Tweedledee, the walrus and the carpenter, the Mad Hatter, the March Hare, the Cheshire Cat, the White Rabbit, and many more. I'm late, I'm late, for a very important date. No time to say hello, goodbye, I'm late, I'm late, I'm late. I give myself very good advice, but I very seldom follow it. Ah, very, very birthday. To me? To you. A very merry birthday. For me. For you. Little bread and butterflies kiss the tulips, and the sun is like a toy balloon. There are gifts up in the morning glories in the golden as a hatter, which luckily, I am Alice. It's you. You're back. Alice? Alice! The Alice? You're absolutely Alice. I'd know you anywhere. You're all late for tea! Alice has returned to Wonderland. Since you've been gone, the Red Queen has taken over all of Wonderland. Find her! <sighs> Help us make the world right again. Oh, I'm there! I need a pig here. I love a warm pig belly for my aching feet. <laughs> Stop that. And if you believe it is, hello, and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast patron only content yay everybody yay. say yay Woo! all right <laughs> i am your very hey. special host tori and joining us today are dave hello there internet <laughs> and guest star uh you might know her as little red book from the legendarium green team um but today we're going to be talking to allison say hi allison hi 
<laughs> and for our book that we read this week, or rather this month, uh, I read, we read it rather yesterday. <laughs> I slacked and read it this week and almost finished it, but I've read it before. That we had read very recently. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Alice in Wonderland by mm. Lewis Carroll. Uh, which is a classic book that we have previously determined is part of the Cosmere, which is why we're covering it here today. Um, well, we have bullet points for it. Uh, and yeah, I, Dave has our bullet points. I do also want to give a quick plug to my own Twitch stream, because uh, if you go to twitch.tv slash crossproduct, you will find a playlist of live narrated books. And at the very top of that playlist is Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. And then Through the Looking Glass were the, the very first two books that I ever read on my stream. Not counting uh, the Christmas, A Christmas Carol by Dickens, which is something that I do annually. But yeah, go ahead. Check that out. Twitch.tv slash cross product. Very good. Now, since this is a Cosmere Deep Dive podcast, um, do we want to start with Good Thing? Sure. Sure. My Good Thing this week I is Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> my good thing is that my son is going to come to this podcast <laughs> well i guess my good thing is uh going to be a series of books i'll probably talk about them later in the podcast uh the looking glass wars by frank Bedore, which oh, is a fantasy retelling of alice in wonderland um already fantasy of... i know but like um <laughs> Hardcore fantasy. We're talking like 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 high I mean, fantasy. Alice is high fantasy, hardcore. yes. And not not and not the type of high fantasy that many people associate with Alice in Wonderland. Right, the hookah caterpillar kind, not that kind. <laughs> um, but it features um, the Mad Hatter as a royal bodyguard slash ninja whose hat is made of knives and he's like this awesome action hero fighter guy and also has his own graphic novel so, so you guys should check that out he's awesome. odd job, oh, odd job. <laughs> <laughs> sounds really cool there are, um there are knives on his hat already going off well no because it's like a top hat but if you flatten it like like you've seen how the magician's top hat you can turn it into right, a flat right, right. disc right well his becomes sort of a chakram bladed thing and then like it splits into this sort of s-shaped sword and it it's really cool i can't describe it you just have to read the book but don't magicians <laughs> usually have a rabbit or a hare that they're associated with yeah sure. yeah there's connections mm -hmm. all over the place there yeah, speaking anyway. of the um I did I also want to brush up on the uh the the perhaps tasteless joke about high fantasy that I made. I I do not like any rendition of Alice in Wonderland series that emphasizes drugs or like creepy pasta violence. Like I I it's okay, it's kind of whatever. But I'm just like to to take that and read it back into Lewis Carroll's original idea, I think, is a travesty. It's completely fun. It's based on the imagination. There, other than the caterpillar, are no fun mushrooms. Whatever. <laughs> but I, I mean, this was a book. This was a story that Lewis Carroll wrote for a ten-year-old, and he was not writing about drugs and murder. At, at least not any more than any other children's author. Um, no, I, but anyway. So you I, you don't want me to get 
get into American McGee's Alice later is what you I'm hearing. You can do what you want. I don't want to... I personally am not going to get into, like, the Tim Burton stuff or even, like, even Jefferson Airplane. But, uh, yeah, you, you can feel free. But I... I enjoy Alice in its most pure original form, I should say. And I think that it is most enjoyed with the light of this is just the imagination of a little girl. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of my take on it. I like, I like the pureness of it. I, um, I do but... agree with you. I think if we're looking at the intent of the author, that that's where he was going with it. But uh, looking at it through a modern lens, easy to see how people have interpreted it that way. So yeah, and I mean, I would... any kind of art is uh, okay. open to interpretation, especially a piece okay. this old. Can I a word about this? Go for it. Okay. So what I was going to say is that do not go on Amazon and search Alice in the Land, you will find some really noxious, really, really upsetting things. And I totally agree with, with Dave. Um, I love this, even though I have a tip, I don't think. Either. Okay. Well, shall we get into the meat of this story and go over Dave's bullet points? Uh, real quick, just uh, want to give a little bit of background on the story. So it was written by Lewis Carroll, which is the pen name of uh, Charles Ludwig Dodgson. And he was uh friends with uh you know he he was a bachelor but he was uh friends with a lot of kids and uh one of them was a girl named alice little who was the middle of three sisters and he and their pastor and sometimes their family would go on boat rides together and you know like on the stream on like a canoe or whatever and a lot of times uh charles would tell stories to them and this particular story or something close to it was originally something that he had orated to Alice Little and she wanted him to write it down for her. And it's kind of the origins of this story. And it originally was penned as a story called Alice's Adventures Underground until it became Alice's Adventures in Wonderland with a few minor tweaks that you would uh, know all about if you picked up this book that I picked up. This is the annotated Alice. I took the paper sleeve off so I wouldn't ruin it. It is uh, Lewis Carroll's original two Alice works, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, and Through the Looking Glass and What Alice Found There. This was uh, written with annotations by Martin Gardner, who is the foremost American expert on Lewis Carroll, or was, I, he might be passed at this point, but this was basically like the third edition, the third major edition that came out of this book. And you might be asking yourself, why do you need annotations for Alice in Wonderland? And to that, I say, how else am I supposed to know how Hal Dot the Little supposed to go? <laughs> so, Dave. Yes. How many pages long versus Camp Alice? It is the same number of pages, actually. The the paging and spacing and illustration positions are kept intact from the original version, which honestly, I I would have preferred that they made more of an effort to keep the annotations close to the text that they refer to. And this guy drones on a lot sometimes and is kind of proud mm -hmm. of it. And that's kind of cute. Like you get all these little details. I mostly am curious about the number one thing I was curious about was the uh, the poems, there are a lot of parodies in Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, and I don't know the originals of almost any of them, or almost, 
I be, I don't I don't know 18th or 17th century English children's poems. So actually well, getting to not, read the Dave? original. That's a terrible <laughs> oversight on your I'm not a librarian, okay? If only we had a librarian <laughs> with us. But anyway, oh, so it, it's really cool. There's there are a lot of interesting insights um and it get he does get into like the math and logic stuff a little bit too, which I I personally am a huge fan of. Uh, as we haven't yet mentioned, but if you didn't know, Charles Dodgson, the alter ego, if you will, of Lewis Carroll, uh, has also authored many articles on mathematics and things like that. So that peaks up here and there in the Alice books. So interesting. There is, and I don't know if it's the same version, but there is a free annotated Alice. To oh, cool. This one I, is Martin Gardner. There. But I'm just letting <laughs> you know, there's an annotated version that's on Kindle for free. Cool. I, I picked it up. I looked at it. All right, Tori, lead us in. Oh, unless Allison had more on the No, annotation. I have nothing more to say. I'm sorry I was so rude to you about busting earlier. <laughs> you were what? <laughs> I was like, shut up, Dave. Let me talk. No, you're fine. I just be glad Craig's not here. That's all I have to say to that. <laughs> I see Mike smiling on his cam. Um, we we are uh, silently joined by Mike tonight. Yeah, and I was supposed to do an episode on Sandman with Craig. Anyway, cool. Tori. Uh, so yeah. Um, chapter one, down the rabbit hole. So, Dave, how do your bullet points? Yeah. Go? So, as is traditional for the Cosmere Deep Dive podcast, I have written bullet points for all the chapters that I read. And chapter one is indeed down the rabbit hole. I have never seen a rabbit with a waistcoat pocket either. This book apparently predates the metric system. Alice, Alice falls and finds a key. Fitted is British for fit. This potion sounds yummy and not poison at all. Oh no, she forgot the key. She generally gave herself very good Alice generally gave herself very good advice, though she very seldom followed it. I can relate. So yeah, at the outset of our story, Alice falls down a rabbit hole. She is following the March Hare, who is no. a. No, she's I'm sorry, he's the white the white rabbit. So when I was a kid, I thought the white rabbit and the March Hare were the same character. Really? Having never seen the Disney movie or huh. read the book, I just assumed that they. Anyway, it's the white rabbit. <laughs> I promise that's the first time that I'll make that mistake today. I didn't uh-huh. say only. I said first. I know. <laughs> I caught that. <laughs> All right. So she follows the white rabbit who is, it's kind of funny is that she comments on the watch and the waistcoat pocket, but not the waistcoat itself. It's perfectly normal to see a white rabbit wearing a waistcoat. Just, and gloves. They just don't forget don't the gloves. Pockets. And, yep. and white kid gloves, whatever yeah, that, that means. A, that was a big thing. Kid is kid gloves are yeah it's very thin soft leather. Funny, I don't remember reading about what kid gloves were in the annotations. Probably because we still have them, so they wouldn't have felt the need to annotate that. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. (laughs) And I know all about them. Sounds like something Vin would wear to a ball or something. Indeed, yeah, they'd be very fashionable. So, um, I'm just I'm going to summarize uh, and try to cover your bullet points here. Uh, mm-hmm. So we we start off with uh, it comes right out and says that Alice is she's studying and she's falling asleep while studying. So like this sets us up for the idea that this whole thing is a dream, like right off the bat. She's right. she's so tired of what she's reading that she's falling asleep. And then suddenly there's this talking rabbit 
and she follows and then immediately falls down the rabbit hole. Um, There's a very long fall and she's reciting facts to herself to keep calm while she's falling through emptiness. uh, That's also full of furniture and trinkets. Um, And she has this whole thing where she grabs a marmalade jar, but she doesn't want to drop it. She's afraid to kill somebody below her, which really... (laughs) really caught my attention yeah and, and first. So then she sticks the jar in a in a cabinet as she's falling by and yeah. um and i wrote this part down because i think it's so cute she starts reciting to herself do cats eat bats do bats eat cats <laughs> and, and then she's imagining going home and asking her cat now dinah tell me the truth have you ever eaten a bat <laughs> and... <laughs> yeah. i would say if she had a chance to skate back. So it's basically ha- a rat with wings. Everything. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, you know, they they look like a mouse if you get the cute kind. Not the not the stubby nose kind. They're weird. Um so at <laughs> the end of her very radiant. long fall. Yeah, yeah. If you ever see a picture of a bat on Reddit, don't read the comments because you'll learn all about how terrible rabies are. Um, so as she's falling, just a quick note about physics and how science and math play into the Carolian work sometimes. Uh, this actually doesn't make any sense. If she were to drop a jar, if if she were holding a jar at, in free fall and let go of it, it would still be falling at the same speed she was. So the idea of dropping a jar on somebody's head is preposterous. But, you know, she's, I believe that Al, Alice Little, the actual human person, was 10 years old when this was written. But the character Alice is seven years old. And uh, so, you know, she doesn't she doesn't understand uh, Newtonian physics to, <laughs> to that level. So, but so she does way, manage to get I'm waiting. So the way the makes sense of her dress. Is, oh, her, her, yeah. Her they also use makeup. that mechanic in American Geese Alice. I should watch yeah. this movie. Fun. It's a fun <laughs> movie. I, it really is. I enjoyed it. It also has parts when I was nightmares. <laughs> like Which serious nightmares. parts? Uh, spoilers for a movie that came out before. All of us were born. <laughs> Based on a book that we're currently discussing the entirety of. <laughs> From 1870 what? 65. 65. The part where the the dog with no leaping up the path behind her and and she has nowhere to go. She's in dark. Talking about. Yeah. I didn't think that part was scary. I remember a dog in the book that was kind of scary. <laughs> so it's not something that is in the book. But this dog is sweeping up the path behind her and can't go back forward. Yeah, she's so she's going through the Tolkien wood and she right. finds a path and she's like, oh, no problem. I'll just follow this path. And then this, um, it looks like a dog, but it's basically got a, a dust broom as a muzzle. And yeah. it looks like a giant mustache or whatever. And it's just walking along the path with its nose mm-hmm. down like it's scenting something except it's sweeping its head back and forth and as it mm-hmm. does the path is swept away and then it gets to alice and kind of steps around her <laughs> and keeps sweeping and up the, the path, path on the other side yeah terrifying she has yeah, like, where are you like, gonna walk i'm like girl just follow the dog like why is this so hard or ride the dog um yeah that was maybe because i'm dumb <laughs> i don't know <laughs> I was a weird kid. I didn't get nightmares from things that gave other kids nightmares. Mm -hmm. So Alice gets to the bottom of the rabbit hole. 
um, she sees the uh, she finds the the little door. It's it's a whole hallway full of doors, um, but she finds this little one. And when she looks inside, uh, she sees the the rabbit going down the path. And um, well, she can't fit through the door. Uh, but further investigation, she finds uh, a little table uh, with a key on it. And um, oh, sorry, that came before the key fits in the little door. And then when she turns around on the table, there's a bottle labeled drink me. And that bottle was not there before. Um, it doesn't say poison. It doesn't say poison. She checks. <laughs> no, she checks. Um, the, I wrote down this quote. If you drink much from a bottle marked poison, it is almost certain to disagree with you sooner or later. <laughs> um, so she drinks it. Um and it causes her to shrink, and then she's a tiny person, and she would be able to fit through the door if it hadn't closed behind her, and she forgot the key on the table. Um, oh man. Yeah. Uh, but there's no crying in baseball. Um, I mean, whatever this place is. Um, yeah, I made notes, too. Um, <laughs> uh, so Alice definitely doesn't cry, and it isn't a major point in the story. <laughs> No, she starts crying at that point, and then she's like, no, no, I will not cry. She's going to puzzle this out. Um, and that's where we get the quote, she generally gave herself very good advice, though she very <laughs> seldom followed it. Which, in the Disney movie, is also part of a song that she sings toward the end of the movie when she's very sad. Um, but then she's like, okay, what do we do now? And another quote, this curious child was very fond of pretending to be two people. <laughs> so she hashes it out with herself and um and then she finds a cake and the cake says eat me um better eat the whole thing then <laughs> and that's the end of that chapter all right anything else to add allison so what i found very interesting about the cut your throat dave no i'm looking it's the cat oh. <laughs> i'm like off with its head <laughs> <laughs> um is that i think it's a metaphor for oh yeah the whole book is a metaphor for like because and, she's constantly growing and shrinking and doesn't know what size she yeah, is yeah exactly and she doesn't know where she fits is basically which and is, she doesn't know the rules right which basically what puberty is i mean i don't for girls i'm sure it's the same for boys my boys don't talk to me about their uh, one puberty. particular thing that you said is uh consistent with my experience as a boy going through puberty, but I won't say which part. Why did you even bring it up then? Because <laughs> I think you can. Yeah, guess. and 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 remember, Dave says that it's it's oh, better oh, if you oh, read the story. Oh, I get it. Well, <laughs> thinking of it as a child's story and not as a anyway. But yeah, the metaphor for childhood is all over the place because, like. All of the quote-unquote adults in Wonderland are constantly coming at her with all of these, you know, rules and things that she can't do or must do. And um, and half of them, she's like, that, that's that's stupid. Why do we do it that way? And they're like, that's just the way it's done. Um, <laughs> or like, so, I counted. Growing I counted, up will make you crazy. Yeah, yes. no, I counted. It I does. Four. <laughs> I think I counted four distinct places in the story where she's having a conversation with somebody and says the absolute wrong thing. 
like um in in this chapter for example we'll get to it but she's talking with a mouse and first thing she does is mention her cat and how good the cat is at catching mice and like (laughs) no no don't do that alice that's and but we do that so many times when we're when we're children and growing up and we say something in front of the adults that we shouldn't have said and um so yes i agree with alice uh metaphor for childhood and Not growing metaphor up. for childhood, but crossing that gap. Yes. <laughs> Chapter two. I'm still like thinking about David. Don't think about that. Don't, don't think, think it, about no, Chapter don't think two, about the pool of tears. Okay. Okay. Just, <laughs> <laughs> or lie back and think of England. One the of those. Curiouser and curiouser. What a classic no, the, line. Yeah. I had to write yeah. it down. <laughs> what? Stop it, Mike. <laughs> Was I the same when I got up this morning? Four times five equals 12 in base 18. Four times six equals 13 in base 21. And I want to point out that I wrote this bullet note as I was reading. And then after reading that section, I went back, looked at the annotations, and the annotations actually covered the math and said the same exact thing that I wrote down about the uh-huh. base 18 and base 21, uh, which Big are significant day. ages in our time but maybe maybe 18 and 21 weren't as significant in carol's time i don't know i don't think that 21 was the legal drinking age back in england because there there are references to alice drinking wine in this book so uh, they have a very different relationship to alcohol we have in europe or you mean in the past or in the past of europe in europe and all of the above Mm -hmm. there was a period of time where everybody drank beer because you could Oh, yeah, that's in the Bible, too. Except it was wine, but... That wasn't in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, it was. In in Timothy. Anyway. That's... No, it said, drink a little wine. <laughs> okay, we're not going to talk. The but right, they didn't have the water purification technology that we have in modern day. Exactly. And everybody's sewage. What was that right. it for and... your bullet point? I'm sorry. I, know, I just wanted to you. talk about the math. <laughs> I just, I really got derailed because I wanted to talk about the math. So um, how doth the little... Alice's internal clock is set to nightblood time. That's why she thinks the French mouse came over with William the Conqueror. And, oh, we have a little cast of characters here, which are cleverly named after real-life people. And this is something that came up in the annotations, which I hadn't considered. So uh, the dodo is in reference to Dodo Dodgson, that Charles Dodgson, Lewis Carroll himself. So the dodo represents Lewis Carroll. The duck um, represents Reverend Duckworth. Lori, the Lori represents Lorena Little, Alice's, the real life Alice's older sister. And the eaglet is Edith, uh, Alice Little's younger sister. And that's why, that's why the Lori is like, I must know better. I'm older than you (laughs) because uh, she is representative of Lorena Little, the oldest sister. And uh, I did I did write down, have a bookmark here for How Doth the Little, since I kind of teased at it at the beginning um, of the podcast. So there's How Doth the Little Busy Bee improve each shining hour and gather honey all the day from every opening flower. How skillfully she builds her cell, how neat she spreads the wax, and labors hard to store it well with the sweet food she makes, which I guess used to rhyme back then. Whereas Alice's version is about a crocodile instead of a bumblebee, how doth the little crocodile improve its shining tail and pour the waters of the Nile on every golden scale? How cheerfully it seems to grin, how neatly spreads his claws, 
and welcomes little fishes in with gently smiling jaws. And the really the really humorous thing about this, which will be lost on modern readers, is that Alice's version of this poem is the exact opposite of the moral that it's trying to teach. The moral of the bumblebee is that it's working hard and making honey and and it's all it's a go getter, gets all the all this work done. Whereas Alice's crocodile just sits and relaxes in the river and lets its food just run into its mouth. So it's it's so antithetical to the uh, original purpose of how doth the little bumblebee. So it's it's really funny. I wanted to bring that out. Um, well, and an- but- another funny point to go with that is that the the busy bee didn't survive into popular children's literature, but the crocodile poem is in several <laughs> books of nursery rhymes that I can think of. And oh, like funny. it was the only version that I knew growing up. And so like <laughs> I have that one memorized and the B one is just something I read in college one time. The the interesting thing in general about Alice's Adventures in Wonderland is there are so many parodies on poems that Probably wouldn't, I'm not a historian, but probably wouldn't have survived if not for Lewis Carroll making fun of them. Uh, probably like your old father, William, among others, like who would, who cares other than the fact that they're in Alice? No. Okay. I'm a Cosmere But not. he plays one on I'm, TV. Cosmere not. <laughs> I'm a, I love you guys. When I grow up, I want to be a sloganeer. That's my, my latest thing I've decided. But so, uh, I, I am at heart a programmer before anything else. Um, definitely not a historian. <laughs> the Gods yeah. of Copybook Headings I was by Rudyard Kipling. The Gods of the Copybook Headings. So it's a basically about the whole thing that they did is they had these little sayings with them out. And it's interesting because what it's about is how things have to make sense. Things have to be, or else the and, or not the society. I, I don't think the rest of society read that book. <laughs> it's not a book, it's a poem. Wow, think, they're really lazy in that case. <laughs> Radio Kipling is not lazy. He wrote. No, they're la- they, they, I can understand if they can't be bothered to read a book, but if society can't be bothered to read a poem, I mean, come on. Anyway, the point of the story is that I really do think it might be a response to Alice in Wonderland. Like everything is so crazy in Alice in Wonderland, and like nothing makes sense. And the they they were co the word where you exist in time together. Coincide? Uh, no. Um, contemporary they were yes that, they were contemporaries contemporaries. <laughs> contemporaries and i that that poem kind of a to that idea that makeup rule and that makes which is kind of part of what like, the idea just by believing they're real anyway wonderland makes perfect sense to me yeah same <laughs> uh when, but when not i to think Kepling, of Roger Kipling anymore but... uh so I, I had a creepy old man in the library who uh, <laughs> tried to tell me about uh, Revelation and the End Times, and then he slipped me this folded piece of paper, and it was a copy of Kip- Kipling's poem about how the female of the species is deadlier than the male. And I was like, oh. "What is what is he trying to tell me with this? Like, I what's don't the know, message but I, do like I still that don't poem. know. I don't know." <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But uh, so now I can't read Kipling without thinking of that. So, Oh, dear. Because I actually really do like that poem. It's I, I, I still think it's creepy. He slipped that to you. I mean, I love the just just so stories. Like I, I read those a lot growing up. But oh, Ricky Tavi. Oh, my gosh. I love <gasps> oh, that. it's that favorite. Was, that I was love Ricky Tavi. Yeah. It's a mongoose one. Yeah. Yeah. Why are we talking about mongoose so often? 
<laughs> I mean, there could I'm be mongoose. I'm pretty sure there's a mongoose in, this, in this book. There's got to be. Dodos and it talks. No, yeah. no, there isn't. I don't think. And not well, in this book. Well, Carol didn't write about it. There are very I'm many sure animals in the Pool of Tears, which, uh, right. which they Corey will very cordially summarize for us. Oh, are you, are you done with your bullet points? Mm-hmm. Okay. God, I hope so, because we are so far off. We're going to take so long on this episode. Patron-only special content. Yay. Um, Multiple thing. <laughs> okay, summary. So, um... After eating all the cake, uh, Alice uh, grows larger, like you when you eat all the cake. Um, so when she's about <laughs> nine feet high, um, she starts crying again. Um, because she's almost as tall she, as I am. Yeah, yeah, almost. You're nine feet tall. <laughs> sure is. Um, so she starts crying again. Uh, gallons of tears. And so it causes this whole pool of tears. And uh, then... Now, you ought to see if you're annotated. Alice explains this for us, Dave. Then, when there's this whole pool of tears, uh, the white rabbit returns, um, apparently unbothered by the pool. And he says something about uh, the Duchess and how he's late. And so um, so he runs off. And uh, Alice is asking herself, was I the same when I got up this morning? And, and then she I love this part. And she concludes that, nope, she's stupid. She must be Mabel, which um, made me think of Mabel from Gravity Falls. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) we must be Mabel today. Um, Maybe that Mabel from Gravity Falls was actually named after. (laughs) I mean, there's so many nods to Carol. Like one of the things that makes it worth reading Alice's Adventures in Wonderland is that there are just even modern day pop culture is so is as uh makes so many nods to Carol that it's just it's like really fun just reading the book and being like, Oh yeah, that reminds me of this Simpsons thing or this other thing or whatever. A few Simpsons things. I mean Conan O'Brien specifically uh tried to get the word jub jub around whenever he could. <laughs> which is a, a, a reference to the second Alice book, of course. Jabberwocky. Yeah. Uh was it there really a is bird everywhere. in Hunting of the Snark too? Hmm? Was there a jub jub bird in Hunting of the Snark? I don't I recall. Okay, whatever. That's fine. It doesn't matter. Back on track. Um, really? So are we're we Mabel today. On track? <laughs> we're all Mabel today. Uh, so are. as Alice is sitting there contemplating her Mabelness, uh, she realizes she's shrinking, and it's uh, it's because she uh, the white dra- the white rabbit dropped his fan, and so Alice was just idly fanning herself as she was doing sums in her head, and the fan is making her shrink. Um, so. Then she notices the door is locked again, and she slips in the pool um, and starts swimming for all she's worth, um, uh, thinking, oh, maybe I shouldn't have cried so much. Um, uh, And (laughs) yeah, and she starts swimming, and uh, as she's swimming, she sees first a mouse and then several other critters, um, and we swim to shore. And uh, here in my notes, I say, yeah, let's discuss my cat's mouse catching prowess with the mouse. That will go well. <laughs> or the terrier that kills rats. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's that, <laughs> I love how Alice euphemizes herself in the next chapter. She calls them C and D. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I mean That makes it better. She, yeah, she's at that age where it's like asking me how much they weigh and you don't realize that's an implant question or asking somebody how old they are because they are always being asked how old they are. 
That's actually a very good point. We always ask kids how old they are. What did we expect? Right. But adults <laughs> do not, you don't ask an adult how old they are. Yeah. And again, with Alice not understanding the these arbitrary rules that the adults throw at her, it's like, it's like when you're trying to play Candyland with your older brother when you're both children and he's making up the rules as you go along. And so you can't win oh. no matter what. And then you grow up scarred for life and hating board games. Hey, we're we're a podcast full of board games fans, and uh, how dare you mention Candyland? Um, that, that's why I don't play with you guys online. There is a certain game that my kids played, and I I've played it. I don't, but um, yeah, one of the children is are, are still very angry at other time for for making up the rules. Yep, exactly yeah. for making up rules and basically cheating the entire. I mean, he will not the play that entire game time. If they're making up the rules, then they can't cheat. They're following the made-up rules. No, the game had rules. <laughs> <laughs> and number one son cheated I, all the time. I have a confession. Um, I'm going to admit this that. right here for patrons only. I have cheated at Solitaire. Oh, no. How dare no. you? That's How dare. Mike has to cue off the podcast because I is. I'm firing. <laughs> okay. Chapter three. Chapter a caucus three. race and a long tail. Uh, the title says it all. See, nobody likes cats. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's it. There's a caucus race and a long tail. What else is there to say? And nobody likes cats. <sighs> I mean, cats are... They think they own the place. I mean, they might. They probably <laughs> do. But the fact that they think it, makes they're a little cocky about it. That's it. All right, right, Tori, take it away. What did I mean (laughs) when I said... (laughs) All right, so Alice and the uh, accompanying critters uh, arrive on shore. They're all soaking wet, um, and and they're thinking, well, well, how are we going to get dry? Uh, So I love this part. The mouse recites dry history. (laughs) It's the driest (laughs) thing I know. (laughs) Right. And... uh, and and when that doesn't work, everybody's still wet. Uh, the dodo suggests a caucus race, um, but clearly can't explain how it works. Again, with the you know a, adults making up the rules as they go along. Um, I still don't understand little, how it works. Little, <laughs> this is a little bit of a British thing. So in America, we have caucuses, which are just kind of like political parties getting together. Um, but actually, in in Britain, at least in Carol's day. The word caucus was derogatory. You would you would call it a caucus. You would call the other guys getting together and meeting and scheming a caucus. Like it wasn't us. We weren't caucusing. They were caucusing. Caucusers. Uh so the fact that they're so mean to being caucusy is uh a, a little bit more of a British thing than our you modern USian sensibilities uh mm-hmm. really yeah. grasp. But it's still funny cuz even though caucus is not a derogatory term in the United States, the common folk, they can still get behind this and, and find humor in it. <laughs> um, so when the dodo calls the conclusion of the race uh, and declares that um, Alice has to give prizes to everyone because everybody won, um, she's got some like some candies in her pocket and, you know, gives everybody a candy. And they're all like, oh, but, but you need an award, too. And um, so the dodo gives her something. I don't remember what. She had what a thimble in her pocket. Oh, right. Yeah. A thimble that she handed to the dodo. Yeah. And yeah, so she doesn't understand the award ceremony. Um, 
And then uh, they're all sitting around a fire and the mouse uh, tells a story, uh, but it must have been dry too because uh, Alice, her mind starts wandering. Um, the, the mouse gets offended and storms off. And then Alice is left with the birds and starts discussing her cat's bird eating tendencies because she didn't learn <laughs> the first time. So that's that chapter. The only thing I have to add is... Only in Wonderland can everybody win when politics are involved. <laughs> or lose. And that brings us to chapter four. The rabbit sends in a little bill. Alice, you lost the white rabbit stuff. Alice forgot <laughs> to cast Identify to make sure this potion wasn't poison. <laughs> Somebody ought to write a book about Alice. Oh, that was my favorite line in the whole chapter. <laughs> <laughs> Even though they have magic shrinking cakes, the White Rabbit's first idea to get Alice out is to burn down his own house. Just brilliant. <laughs> Only after suggesting they burn down his own house do they start flinging magic cakes. Uh, Doggo! And, of course, everyone's favorite, Hookah Pillar. Um, so, real quick, there's... I don't even remember the context here, but there's this whole thing... Oh! Okay, this was in... This was actually in the notes... Um, in in the uh, annotations about apparently Alice would or I, mean, I don't think it was Alice. It was another another person that wrote to Lewis Carroll and said something like, "Oh, I will. I'll send you. Uh, I'll send you lots of love and kisses and baskets of kisses or something." And Lewis Carroll would joke that it that she was saying lots of glove and uh, baskets of mitten. Or baskets of kittens. So he turned like love and kisses into glove and mitten, glove and kittens. So like, I just had this uh, thought of it's always sunny in Philadelphia, where Charlie invents what kitten are mittens. We even talking about right now? <laughs> kitten mittens. And um, <laughs> Lewis Carroll was the original inventor of the kitten mittens. That's that's all I have to say. And if you don't know what kitten mittens are, just Look it up on YouTube or something. It's so adorable. It's just internet cat stuff, basically. Oh, dear Lord. All right, take it away, Tori. Take me away. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so uh, as as Alice is mortally offending all of those birds, the, the white rabbit runs by. And so she follows after him. Uh, and, and the rabbit mistakes her for his housemaid, Marianne. And as, as he's all like, Marianne, no, no, I've lost... House- Servant, not housemaid. Maid, housemaid. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, this was also uh, apparently uh, a colloquial thing where just like Marianne was kind of a term for housemaids and was also name of housemaid in David Copperfield, I think, by Dickens. Sorry. Anyway, just sorry. I I shouldn't have read annotations. I'm, I'm sorry too. I'm sorry too. <laughs> I have also de- derailed this. <laughs> Uh, so he's all like, Marianne, I've lost my fan and my gloves and I'm supposed to meet with the Duchess and like, I, I need you to go to the house and get some more. And, and she's like, okay, okay, whatever, dude. And so she goes to the rabbit's house. Um, and the whole time she's thinking, boy, it, it's weird being the maid for a rabbit. Uh, well, I have to be Dinah's maid next. And that was cute. Um, she gets yes, to those guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically the... humans already are cat's maids, but. We just don't acknowledge it sometimes. What litter boxes? Uh, yeah, but the cats know. They know. <laughs> they do. Uh, they do. <laughs> 
So she gets to the rabbit's house. Uh, she finds a strange bottle and she drinks it, and then she grows large again. And I have so she here. doesn't check the label to make sure it's not poison. I there I, is no label though. Like, yeah, that's no right. If it were poison, it would definitely have a label. She she doesn't need to identify. <laughs> Um, so I have here in my notes, oops, we grow again. Who could have predicted this shocking turn of events? Uh, and that's I would have when said, here quote. it grows again. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. And, and this is where we get the quote, there ought to be a book about me. And when I'm grown up, I'll write one. But I'm grown up now. <laughs> <laughs> Can I get any um, older? Can I get any bigger? So... So she's huge, and she's taking up the whole house. And, uh, of course, they suggest that uh, we burn it down. It's the only way to be sure. Um, but uh, then they send uh, Bill, the lizard, down the chimney. Um, and okay. Alice, her foot is in the chimney, so she kicks him, and he goes flying. Um, <laughs> so, so they start pelting the house with pebbles instead. You <laughs> on the jury. <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, there goes Bill. <laughs> That's a quote from the book, by the way. Um, yeah, it is. So then they start pelting the house with pebbles. And so Alice is getting hit with pebbles through the windows. And uh, some of them turn into cakes. So she eats them. Not because naturally. that seems like the what thing to do. What else would you do? Yeah. I right? mean, that's what she's been doing the entire book is eating and drinking random things. <laughs> this is part. See, this book is all about growing up and realizing that you can't just eat everything in sight. Yeah, when you're growing up, you're hungry and you eat everything. Those growth spurts, they make you hungry. Um, But she's really tiny now. Uh, So she runs from the house, um, avoiding the rabbit and his two buddies. Um, And she encounters an extra large puppy, which is actually a normal-sized puppy, but she's extra small. And then she runs from the puppy and we get to the caterpillar. Yeah, and this puppy yeah. is actually the the only critter in Wonderland that actually acts normal. So some theorists have said that this is actually a dog that somehow uh, inserted Rocked itself over. into Alice's dream. Yeah, like maybe she's dreaming uh, in the garden back home and there's a dog outside, comes by and licks her face while she's dreaming. Who knows? With a broom nose. Right, uh, yeah. a scary broom I mean, it's, nose. It's the only dog in the book, I think. So whatever. I mean, there's also <laughs> a second book that right gets now. started that part. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I didn't. I didn't mean to bring bring up the the traumatic I... childhood experiences. And chapter five: advice from a caterpillar. Uh, labyrinth reference. Mario reference. Eggs. <laughs> Alice is back to normal and talking to herself again. <laughs> All right, what's the labyrinth reference, Tori? Uh, I'm assuming the part where it's a caterpillar. The part where it's a blue caterpillar. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Where, that, slash worm mm-hmm. or whatever. Oh, whatever. oh, oh, yeah. It's Doomslug, though. The caterpillar from Labyrinth is Doomslug. Yes. Okay, well, <laughs> wait, we've already decided Alice is part Labyrinth of the Cosmere. So that means Labyrinth is the... part of the Cosmere. Yeah. That's why we're covering them here on the Cosmere Deep Dive podcast. Um, so that was the Labyrinth reference. Uh, Mario reference. Hang on. A little more uh, obvious. Very obvious. Oh. It was the first thing you think <laughs> of with Mario. <laughs> um, <laughs> Eating mushrooms to grow bigger. Yeah. Uh, so. Oh, and here's another. Uh, stick your foot in your mouth, Alice. Yes. Let's bemoan our three-inch height to the three-inch caterpillar. <laughs> 
When will uh, she learn? Side, when will I learn? Yeah, one side makes you taller, and one side makes you small, and then we sing the whole song. Um, no. Song. <laughs> huh? And so she eats part of the mushroom, and it causes her uh, neck to grow incredibly long, and, and not her whole entire body. So uh, a bird in the tree mistakes her for a serpent. Um, and then she goes on to tell the frantic bird that she eats eggs. Brilliant. Um then she eats more mushroom and she shrinks and uh, finds a house. And that's the end of chapter five. Neat. <laughs> chapter six, Pig and Pepper. Uh, so there is a cartoon called Peppa Pig. And I wonder if this is actually like a direct Carolian reference. But I don't know. Um, who cares? All right. Chapter six. Admiral Akbar and Frog from Chrono Trigger show up. Duchess picture. Some cat shows up. Speak gently. Simpsons reference, uh, that's the the baby that looks like a starfish from the inaugural Simpsons episode, Simpsons Roasting on an Open Fire, where Maggie is wearing a starfish costume. See, I told you, the Simpsons references in this book, like, I mean, yeesh. I thought Family Guy made a lot of references to, like, the Simpsons and other sitcoms and pop culture things, but, like... All the stuff in Lewis Carroll, like, you you can see it, like, all over modern television. Like, I can't believe that he referenced all this stuff. I told uh, So, yeah, the Simpsons reference. Um, <laughs> the ugly child becomes a handsome pig. Uh, that's <laughs> something. Some cat shows up. <laughs> Lewis Carroll totally ripped off George Harrison when he said, uh, George Harrison has a song where he says, uh, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. So Lewis Carroll ripped off George Harrison, as, as well as many other things. Uh, we're all mad here. You know, we got to say that. Some cat disappears and Chekhov's left-hand mushroom bit. Um, real quick, I just wanted to address this. There's the illustration of the Duchess uh, that, oh gosh, what's his name? Tidel? Who's the illustrator? We should have uh, talked about him by now. Tenniel? I pronounced it Tinnel. But anyway, uh, this was a... <laughs> A lot of uh, Carolian scholars attribute this illustration. Uh, Tenniel's, Tenniel's, uh, is it Tenniel or Tenniel? I've been saying Tenniel, like bicentennial. <laughs> but anyway, that works. So a lot of the <laughs> Carolian scholars have attributed this illustration to a portrait of Margaret of Carinthia and Tyrol, um, who has the very, very unfortunate. Uh, reputation of being the ugliest woman in history. And the original portrait is in the annotated version. Uh, and yeah, so she had the nickname uh, Maltasha, which is, uh, I believe, German for pocket mouth or bag mouth. So, you know, even, even uh, Louis Armstrong wasn't the first one to have that nickname. Um, but I'll go ahead and let Tori review the chapter while I find this picture to show to our live listeners. Okay, so... Um... Oh, none of them. <laughs> it's you guys. I mean, Mike's here. Hi, Mike. Oh, that's true. Hi, Mike. <laughs> we got a wave. Um, so Alice goes to this house, and there is a frog footman there uh, who tells her it, knocking's no good because we're both on the outside. Uh, <laughs> this guy's you... funny. Very logical. Um, eventually, she just goes in, uh, like you do if you're a child and you don't understand adult rules uh, on things like that. Uh, she encounters there's a duchess. Well, hang on, she does. She, the door's unlocked, but she does take a minute to say, "How am I supposed to get in?" 
So she is trying to be at least a little polite. Yeah, I, I agree. With you. <laughs> um, and inside she meets a, a duchess with a baby. Okay. And so here is uh, Tenniel's illustration of the duchess. And this is the portrait that it's based on. Okay. That's that's oh, like, okay. there's an old episode of the Twilight Zone that that reminds me of. Twilight Zone in the Cosmere. Confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Duchess, go back on track. Yep. Duchess has a baby, and there's also a cook there. And the cook is making soup, and there is so much pepper in the soup that, like, it's permeating the air, okay? Uh, and there's a cat on the Got mantle. You. That's the Cheshire cat. And then the cook starts throwing things, um, and the Duchess gets ready for croquet. Uh, so Alice holds the baby. And while she's holding the baby, it turns into a pig. So she lets it go, like you do. Um, and she wanders off because, like, she doesn't need to stay in the pepper house, whatever. And uh, she encounters the Cheshire Cat there outside. And, of course, it doesn't matter which way you go. Um, and we're all mad here. And then uh, Chekhov's mushroom. Uh, so now we're two feet high. Chekhov's left-hand mushroom. Mm-hmm. Right. Which brings us to Chapter 7, A Mad I'm not going to go into the history and origins of the Cheshire Cat because I don't want to spoil the illusion. But if you want to find Thank out about you. it, uh, join our Discord server. All right, <laughs> Chapter 7, A Mad... I guess you've already been to our Patreon page if you're listening to this. I don't need to plug it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's right. good to be Chapter in the habit. <laughs> Is a mad tea party, and I'm guessing they're they must be mad because there's a new tea tax. That's why it's a mad tea party. <laughs> anyway, why is a raven no, like a writing desk? <laughs> Don't peek at my notes. Why is a raven like a writing desk? This is a riddle that has plagued philosophers for centuries. Okay, so not looking at Dave's notes in in good faith here. Um, the answer that a lot of people give in the modern day is because Poe wrote on both. Uh, but Lewis, Lewis Carroll did admit that when he wrote this riddle, it didn't, it didn't have an, it, it was just meant to be the mad ravings of the tea party attendants. It did not have an answer. Okay. That is true. When Lewis wrote it, he did not have a, an answer in mind, but he did come up with an answer later on. And uh, the answer is because they can both produce a few notes and they are all very flat. Oh, and also it's never the wrong way around. Uh, if you spell never in E-V-A-R, get it? Raven backwards is never <laughs> the wrong way around. Yep. Which was tragically uh, proofread and uh, edited for some time. But uh, yeah, exactly. So Lewis did eventually write an answer to this riddle. But at uh, at the publication of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, it was not meant to have an answer. That's true. Okay. Uh, Alice Little was born on Star Wars Day, May 4th. So what's kind of interesting is that we find out, I think in Chapter 6, we find out that it is the month of May. Because she's talking about the March Hare, and she's like, "Oh, the March Hare, he's not going to be crazy now because it's May, right?" And then uh, we also have uh, the Mad Hatter's watch, which reveals, which when he asks Alice about it, you know what day it is, she reveals that it's the fourth. So uh, the story takes place on May the fourth, which is not the character Alice, but the real life Alice Little's uh, birthday, May fourth, Star Wars. Oh, nice. Day. Yeah. 
Um, is the Mad Hatter secretly, speaking of his watch, is the Mad Hatter secretly Universe Man from the They Might Be Giants song? He has a watch with a minute hand, a millennium hand, and an eon hand. Okay. Except his watch doesn't have a minute hand, so I guess not. Although, if <laughs> I'm thinking of it, it has like, butter, though. I mean, it has butter. <laughs> it got his, and some crumbs got into the works, I think, too. <laughs> so. I was thinking about this, and I'm thinking about the Tiny Toon Adventures interpretation of Particle Man by They Might Be Giants, combining it with Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, and thinking, like, the the Mad Hatter, it, his day job is to make hats, and secretly in the evenings, he's a pro wrestler. <laughs> Dear Lord. <laughs> Named Universe Man. Well, you do realize and, the... and he hates Triangle Man. <laughs> Oh no, that's per- you, no, I'm sorry. Person you, man and particle you do man. Realize triangle man. What, Universe man doesn't. Uni- Universe man is usually kind of smaller man. Do you realize why Mad Hatters were mad? Uh, yeah, mercury poisoning. Yep. <laughs> it's in the annotation. <laughs> it is. Okay. Oh, I, I was going to yeah. say when you were talking about him being, uh, when you when you said he's secretly a wrestler at night. The Mad Hatter is one of the big bad bosses in American McGee's Alice. I just wanted to point that out. Neat. I have no idea what that is. We it's a creepy it. video game. I know you uh, talked about it earlier, but I still don't have any idea what it is. Uh, so well, I didn't talk about it. Was it. A, no, totally it, did. It's a horror game from, I think, 2000, 2001. Yeah, I Where Alice is in an <laughs> insane asylum. Um and ends up going back to Wonderland. It's all a delusion in in her mind. Um, is and it like she, yes, yeah, yeah. It kind of is. Um, but it, it's um, Wonderland has become uh, evil and corrupted because of her her insanity. And so when she's trying to defeat the um, the Red Queen, she's actually defeating her own madness and uh, in doing so cleanses Wonderland, spoiler alert, on a 20-year-old video game. Um, oh but, my gosh, it's totally Sucker Punch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> except with a happier ending than that movie had. Yeah, that, <laughs> that movie. Oh, I was with it until the end. Anyway, going back to Sorry. Alice. <laughs> uh, three little girls in a triacle well, which are representative of Alice Little and her two sisters. I don't think. Therefore, you shouldn't talk. Oh, I wrote that down, too. <laughs> what a dad joke. Uh, Alice pieces out and finishes oh. activating her plan. Her plan being to find out how to get big again and get into the garden. And uh, also, I found out that one of the very earliest examples of a virtual reality video game involves being Alice at the tea party. And I do love the fact that Gardner goes into detail about explaining what virtual reality is. He's like, you see, you wear these goggles and gloves and it detects your movements. Like, gosh. But anyway, uh, that game sounds pretty cool. I want to play the. I want to play the uh, the AR. See, we, we don't have VR anymore. Nobody cares about VR. This this isn't the '90s. Everyone's all about AR. I would love to play an AR Alice game. Yeah, that would be pretty stellar. So this is the one thing where I totally disconnect every every time you guys start talking about video games. Like <laughs> we have a lot I, of different listeners. I know, and that's fine. I'm just saying, like, every time you start talking about video games, I do now. <laughs> My good thing this week is a video <laughs> game. 
Anyway. So summary. All right. Uh, Alice All right. arrived. Real, real quick, Allison, okay. you probably just voiced the concern of like half of our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> No, it's it's totally fine. And you guys have the things that you love and I have the things that I love and we can talk about theology sometime. That would be Yo, hit me up. <laughs> so, summary. <laughs> Alice arrives at this tea party. Uh it's already in progress. She just kind of joins in uh uninvited. How um, long has it been in progress, Tori? <laughs> <laughs> a really long time since you mentioned it. So I, I love this part, right? Like, um, if you've seen the Disney cartoon, which I know Allison has, uh, there's the Mad Hatter and the March Hare at some point. They scream, clean cup, clean cup, move down! And they make a big production out of moving to the next chair over. Well, the reason is that there was... Um, an occasion where the Mad Hatter was before the queen uh, and was singing a song. And she said uh, that he was murdering the time off with his head. Um, and, and, and we know that, you know, even though the queen in this book orders lots of people to lose their head, nobody ever does. Um, but time was so offended at this attempted murder that time like swore off of the Mad Hatter and like, we'll have nothing to do with him. And so uh, time stands still uh, for the Mad Hatter. He is stuck at this tea party where it's always tea time and there's no time to do the dishes because it's, always tea time so uh it's been going on One for of a the while humorous bits here is that they all although there are multiple people at the tea party they only move one chair so only the hatter actually gets a new tea set and everything clean dishes and everything <laughs> well i mean if it's been going on long enough he's not getting clean dishes anymore either because <laughs> they've no gone around dishes. and around Bro, the table. let's change the subject let's change the subject <laughs> to what? <laughs> Which was the March Hare's response to Alice asking when when do they get back? <laughs> I just kind of love how anytime Alice finds a logical fallacy, nobody wants to talk about it, and they change the subject. This is this is one of at least two instances I can think of. Which is exactly what adults do to kids when they ask these uncomfortable questions. <laughs> yeah. So I remember um, I used to ask why a lot. And my mom. Mindy from Animaniacs. Not quite as bad, but yeah. (laughs) And my mom said to me, you know, what parents say is because I said so. And when I was about 10, I said, I'm never going to say that to my mom. That's a fair response to giving a command to your child, though, I think. It is. And let me tell you, it took me like two years in a parenthood. (laughs) I said, because I said so. (laughs) Well, you can, like, it, and and I say this as someone who doesn't have children, but I do work with children. Um, they'll ask you a question, and if you're like, "No, no, I'm I'm not going to be that adult," and you try to give them the actual explained answer, and how do they respond? But why? <laughs> and then you have to give them another right? answer, and then they're going to keep asking why, and it just keeps going. It's this endless, like broken yep. record, and you you have to because I said so. You have to. Yeah, you you really do. Yeah. Okay. Love you. Bye bye. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> um, so at the tea party, um, uh, after we get over the the time thing, uh, there's okay. There's this dormouse, and the dormouse is adorable because if you guys have never mouse. seen, 
If you've never seen pictures of a dormouse, um, they're they're not really common in North America, but all over um, the UK you get dormice, uh, which hibernate in the winter, and they do this by building a little nest, uh, usually in like your sock drawer, you know, things that you don't want them to build nests in, but they do, like uh, something I, soft I and fluffy, I'm, and they curl up and they have, go to sleep. They're nocturnal as well. They're kind of like squirrels, but nocturnal. I think is how how they're described in the annotations. Yeah, like facial like features squirrel? look much more squirrely than mousy. I mean, not maybe like, not the tail, but yeah, the tail is definitely yeah. more mousy. Yeah, so. they they do have a long tail, but it's not all fluffy like a squirrel. Um, but they they just curl up in these little tiny balls, and they're so cute. Um, so where you've got cute. this <laughs> this sleepy dormouse at the tea party, it's uh, it's it's very um very on point for the characters. So the dormouse is the one telling the story about the sisters, and it's like, okay, there were three sisters, uh, and and they lived in the bottom of a well, and okay, but what did they live on? Treacle. It just throwing answers <laughs> out like. Um, they lived on treacle and they were ill. <laughs> that, that's all I wrote down about that story. Um, because and then you if get, you lived on treacle, you would be ill. <laughs> you would be, yeah, absolutely. Not me. And, and then you get the the line that Dave already gave us. I don't think. Well, then you shouldn't talk. And she's all like, oh. <laughs> "Got her." The nerve. Take that. And she she like rage quits the tea party and um, <laughs> so, basically. Then she finds a door in a tree uh, and she goes through the door in the tree and that takes her back to the hall where the book started. Um, And this time she remembers to pick up the key before she uh, shrinks. So that's the end of that chapter. Growing and changing. Growing and changing and learning. All right. Chapter eight, the Queen's Croquet Ground. Okay. You'll remember (laughs) before I get into the book, this is Mike's favorite part. Uh, before we get into the bullet points, just quick reminder, this is where Alice first encounters the deck of cards and the card people. Okay, so with that in mind, <laughs> let's see how Alice approaches this situation. Will she have the vigor to stand up to the queen? What if she can't slice the mustard? <laughs> Will she retreat under the pressure? Fortunately, she is an expert croquet player some cat shows up off with his head too late how can the queen execute people for missing their turns when everyone is playing at once besides if someone doesn't know it's her turn all you have to do is poker fetch the duchess take it away tori wow okay so um alice gets to the queen's (laughs) garden uh the card guards are out there painting the roses red because they accidentally painted white roses and if the queen sees the white roses it's going to be off with their heads um so they're painting them red uh in the in the cartoon there's a very catchy song which is indelibly embedded in my brain space because i watched that cartoon so many times as a child but we're not going to sing it here because the disney lawyers will get us um (laughs) will they oh they would have to listen to the podcast Do we risk it? Oh, pardon me, but Mr. Three, why must you paint them red? Because <laughs> the queen, she likes them red. So we're painting the roses red. <laughs> um, well, Alice finds the white rabbit at last uh, at the queen's garden. Uh, the, the queen is setting up a huge croquet game. Uh, she does uh, find that the roses are painted, and she, she does demand that the gardeners lose their heads. Um, and... <laughs> 
and then the, they escape and the queen's like are their heads off and someone's like yes your majesty their heads are off they're totally uh, not. Uh, she says she's like oh did, did you chop their heads off and then the the person's like well their heads aren't here because they had run off <laughs> um also of note, the gardeners are spades and the guards are clubs. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yep. That was very funny. Um we find out that the Duchess uh is in trouble because she was late to the to the game. Uh so so she's in the dungeon right now. Uh also of interest <laughs> The cat's like or the cat's like did you say it would be a shame that it was a shame that she was sentenced to death? And Alice is like, ah, oh, certainly not. <laughs> kind of. Well, she was like yelling at her baby and throwing stuff. She was a horrid person Not with a face like something out of the Twilight Zone. The Queen is really terrible. So again, getting into the 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 metaphor for growing up, um, the Queen is a toddler. The, like she's she's your stereotypical toddler. Uh, when she gets mad, she wants everybody to die, and everyone's like, "Yeah, okay, we totally did what you wanted." And then behind her back, they're like, "No, we didn't do what she wanted." Like <laughs> the Queen is a toddler, and completely representative of toddlerness. Um, anyway, so, uh, one of the interesting things about this book is that touches on all this development progress for a person, cognitive development. Oh, I know this. And physical development and spiritual development. It's Cosmere. Confirmed. <laughs> Identity development as well. Cosmere. Capital I. Yes. Uh, but but no, as a children's librarian, that's 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 the the official like brain growing thick cognitive development. That's what I'm always telling the parents of my story time kids about. This is why we sing songs in story time is because songs are good for cognitive development. I say, yeah, I say that at least twice a week. Getting back to this croquet game, though, it sounds lit. The balls are hedgehogs and the mallets are flamingos. That's that's pretty fabulous, you guys. <laughs> uh, I wrote down this quote. They're dreadfully fond of beheading people here. The great wonder is that there's anyone left alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and there aren't any rules or if there are, no one attends to them. Uh, the Cheshire Cat shows up. And the king uh, doesn't like that cheeky grin on the cat's face. Um, and so the queen's like, off with his head regarding the cat. Uh, at this point, she's already ordered heads off of several other people. Um, so speaking of the king, quick tidbit. Uh, you all know Craig from our podcast. Um, his wife used to have a screen name that was a reference Disney version. That's all I'll say about that. No, you can't leave us hanging. Now I need to know what it was. Uh, I'll DM it to you. I don't want to be giving out uh, okay. Okay. personal information for other people, but uh, yeah, I'll send it to. You. I'll send you a clip later. Okay. I'm not um, gonna, even though it's a former handle. I still don't want to. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. It's a it's a Craig's wife's old username for some platform used to be a reference to. The Disney version of this scene. Cool. I feel like um, I've already said too much, even though I've said nothing. <laughs> I feel like Alice right now. Okay. Stop talking about the username. <laughs> so this is where we get the, this is where we get the quote, a cat may look at a king. Uh, and 
Alice is like, oh yeah, that's the Duchess's cat. So the Queen's like, fetch the Duchess from the dungeon. And um, then they start arguing about how to behead the cat uh, because it's already vanished its body away and it's just a head now. And it's like, how do you behead a cat without a body? Well, you can behead anything with a head. What do you behead it from, though? (laughs) This is the argument that they're having, yes. (laughs) Chapter 9, The Mock Turtle's Story. Yeah, the title of this chapter is the best chapter in the book. It's not the title. Uh No. Um, I must have a misprint then. It's not the best chapter. Okay. Uh, You are what you eat. Perhaps there is no moral to this story. Simpsons did it. Uh, Never imagine yourself not to be otherwise than what it might appear to others that what you were or might have been was not otherwise than what you had been would have appeared to them to be otherwise, to put it simply. I also Ma- wrote down that whole thing. <laughs> uh, mock turtle soup is made from veal or mock turtles. This is why you see uh, cow parts in Tenniel's illustration of the mock turtle. Tortoise and Achilles, French music and washing, extra. Reeling and writhing, amplification, distraction, uglification, and derision. Mystery, seography, drawing, stretching, fainting and coils, laughing and grief. Lessons. So, what happened on the twelfth day? Uh, so, here's another kind of a a mat, like a nod to mathematics is um, the tortoise and Achilles, which is in mathematics, uh, yada blah blah blah. It's kind of a an introduction to it's it's like it's basically like a, a supposed paradox that is solved by calculus, uh, to put it as simply as possible. But uh, Carol had actually written about this uh, this this puzzle, and I, I think it was Carol that wrote about like kind of like this this joke conversation between the tortoise and Achilles, and the tortoise makes makes the pun uh, about like oh he taught us because he was a tortoise because he taught us or something, and like this this was another instance where Carol made this pun. And in this instance, uh, Achilles actually does like a facepalm. So apparently facepalming was an appropriate reaction to bad puns, even back in Carol's day. All right, Tori, take it. So the Duchess shows up. The Duchess shows up while the Queen is still busy uh, arguing about the cat. Um, And Alice and the Duchess have this long conversation uh, where the Duchess acts like she knows everything, which is, again, another adult thing to do um they they talk about uh mustard and alice is like uh no mustard isn't a bird i i think it's a mineral and the duchess immediately is like oh yes of course there's a mustard mine not too far from here and everybody knows about and then alice is like no hang on it's actually a plant and the duchess just like skips over that just pretends that that didn't happen and um goes on with the conversation and at one point alice thinks well when i'm duchess and that's like hmm because uh you might if you haven't read through the looking glass uh the whole point of that was alice was trying to become a queen and she did succeed in the end in becoming queen alice so she thinks well when i'm a duchess no you don't have to be a duchess honey aim higher um And we get that fabulous quote that Dave already read for us that I won't repeat, even though I did write the whole thing down. Um, Now I know I didn't have to write the whole thing down because Dave had us covered. I'm a little disappointed. Um, 
The queen scares off the duchess. The game continues. Uh, Alice goes to meet the mock turtle, which is uh, elsewhere in the queen's garden. And uh, there's the griffin shows up and takes her to the mock turtle. And when that's all uh, they fancy that they never beheads nobody. Yes, yeah. While the queen's <laughs> back is turned, the king pardons everyone, and the griffin's like, "Yeah, it's just it's all her fancy." And then we get to the mock turtle who is crying and and terribly sad, and the griffin's like, "Yeah, that's that's his fancy too. He's not actually sad. He he's got nothing <laughs> to be sad about." Uh, and we we get to find out that he used to be a real turtle, and. Uh, he he lived in the sea with the other turtles, and he had lessons, and they got smaller as the days went on because they lessened. Um, and then they start talking about the lobster quadrille, which is chapter 10. All right, chapter 10, the lobster quadrille. Is that how you say it? Yeah. It seems yeah. French. Uh, yeah. The title says it, all. <laughs> it is. Beautiful Soup. Trial time. So this is a parody of a song about a beautiful star or something. Yeah, beautiful suit. That's that's all I got. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, they describe the the griffin and the mock turtle describe the dance, um, and they they try to show it to Alice. And at some point, as they're explaining the steps, she almost says, "Guys, she almost says." I once tasted a lobster, but she stops herself. Good job, Alice. You're learning. You're um, learning. Character development. Uh, and and the griffin and the mock turtle were like, yeah, everybody did the lobster quadrille. It was it was the thing that everybody did. Um, and and at some point, Alice almost mentions dinner, which she she should not have done because she was talking about eating uh, uh-huh. them. And, and but she didn't mention dinner. Good job. Good job. It's griffins. No turtle. Ah. And then we sing a song about beautiful, beautiful soup, beautiful soup. And that's it for chapter ten. Chapter eleven. Who stole the tarts? Twelve angry creatures. Tea party started on March fourteenth. Coincidence? As we all know, that's Pie Day. Pepper treacle tarts. Alice's evidence. It's the trial. Okay, so uh, she goes to the trial. Um, the judge is the king, and there's jurors there. Um, the jurors are pretty stupid. They have to write down their own names. First witness is the Hatter. Uh, he talks about the tea party. Uh, at one point, the the queen says, or it might have been the king, says, don't be nervous or I'll have you executed on the spot, which is, reminded me of the beatings will continue until morale improves. Um, Alice notices that she has started growing again, but she wants to watch the trial. So she tries to keep quiet about it and stay where she is. Um, oh, uh, applause was suppressed, uh, which was done by a, a little creature tried to applaud something said in the trial. So uh, the guards shoved it in a sack and sat on it. That's how applause was suppressed. And Alice was like, you know, I heard, I'd heard that before, but I didn't know what it meant. And <laughs> And then they call Alice as the next witness, bringing us to chapter 12, the final chapter, Alice's Evidence. Alice's Evidence. Alice's Evidence. You're just a pack of cards. Alice will keep her youthful heart and tell the story of Wonder Tale to the youth of the future. The end. So Alice gets up to go to the stand. She accidentally knocks over the jury box and all the jurors in it. Oh, I love and, that. That's, yeah. I love this and, part. 
And she's remembering a time when she accidentally knocked over the goldfish bowl and she had to put all the fish back before they uh, dry, dry drowned. So, like, like so, um, so she's like, oh, no, I got to put the jurors back in the jury box. And that, that was funny. Um, they can't remember so the difference between the what? I said I can't I can't help feeling so sorry for Bill because he gets yes Bill the lizard from earlier is one of the jurors and uh, he he uh, ends up upside down in the jury box um but they can't remember the difference between important and unimportant so they're writing down unimportant things um and but Alice keeps growing and the king tries to hit her with uh, rule 42 persons a mile high have to leave the court and she's like you're making that up silly grown up making things up as you go along um and she decides it's all stuff and nonsense and yes you're nothing but a pack of cards and uh then we find out it was all a dream dun, and that's dun, the end gg so what are your takeaways from this guys I mainly just like the the silliness, but still there's like a structured chaos. And that's kind of my favorite aspect of the book as a whole. So it's silliness point. Like it touches on yeah. some very real thing. Make up real earth. We can imagine things, but they're all I don't even but it's done so well and that's the best thing about children's literature. Well it's like we can't change reality, but we also don't have to take it seriously. Yeah, that's part of it. But also part of it is that we need to imagine things in order to approach reality correctly. That makes a lot of sense. That reminds me of a a part in Futurama. Was it in Futurama? No, I don't have no idea. Why did I? But anyway, it's kind of like the purpose of fantasy is to help us understand reality. Oh, absolutely. I I have mentioned this before in a previous conversation with Allison, uh, a book called The Uses of Enchantment by Bruno Bittelheim, who was a psychiatrist who studied the, um, not the effect, but like the impact of stories on children's development and uh, had a lot of examples of like, because children don't understand the rules of the real world. Uh, when you explain things to them in allegory and metaphor, then it it makes more sense to them. So children are getting a lot more out of these stories than, than we think they are. Uh, it's one of the reasons why you find the same versions of fairy tales all over the world, like... Uh, China and Europe and and South America all have almost identical Cinderella stories uh, Mm -hmm. with the shoe and everything. And it's 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 not because of the Pangea theory or what have you. It's because somewhere in our brains, they're all structured the same way. And like we need that. um, We need to work that issue out, whatever. Yes. But it's it's more complicated than just the narrative. There's like. A bunch of ways and every time you read the book you find something new in it and it doesn't it's not just one narrative it's a bunch of narratives together distilled yeah and the the alice stories are um there was a particular genre uh, called wandering tales which um was very popular in the mid to late 1800s guys i'm breaking out my literature degree i haven't used this in like 15 years um <laughs> don't worry about where it the in- <laughs> the like the entire plot 
excuse me, the entire plot is uh, just wandering from one encounter to the next. And a lot of children's stories were structured that way at that time. Um, the, the Alice stories are probably the most famous of them and the ones that have survived the longest. But uh, they, they're really not popular with modern audiences. If you try to write a story like that today, it hardly ever gets picked up. Um, and it, again, it's because there's not really an overarching plot. It's it's just one encounter after another. Uh, Wizard of Oz is kind of like that. Like if you read the book, it has a lot of that. Yes. Um, but when you look at how they did the movie, they kind of moved away from that. And and it, like with the Disney version of Alice in Wonderland, they they did the same yeah. thing. They they tried to give it an uh, you know a, a single plot line yeah yeah to connect all of the characters together and um in the disney version they did drag in a lot of things from through the looking glass to make it more um a a more cohesive plot um yeah because this book have a plot or or at least how we um there is at least the you know the recurring goal of alice getting into the garden but then once she gets there it's just kind of it stops being a thing. She re- she achieves her goal in like chapter eight or nine, and then that's it. <laughs> we don't and really it's hear about the that. Worst thing that ever happened to her. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. It's part of growing up too. Yeah, hundred percent. So I would go back to Chesterfield saying we don't tell stories about dragons as they're real, but because we, which, which is, is a great not, quote. I was going to say it's not exactly. Yeah, no, you were close. Um, does anyone have anything else to add? We've gone a little long. Oh, I'm so sorry. It, it's oh, like we fault. ate some weird cake or something. It's probably my fault. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry I went tangent. <laughs> You're good. You thank you very much. So, thank you so much, Allison. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, I was very so... happy too. I hope you guys had a good time. I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a great time. So, I'm going to wrap this up here. Uh, again, this has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast wait, wait, wait. special. What? Can I can I do a shameless plug? Yes, do your shameless plug. Shameless plug here. <laughs> Hi, I'm Little Red Book from the green team of the Legendarium. Please go check us out. Check out legendarium.com. And I also have a new project coming out about short stories and sci-fi. And I'm another member of the green. And so I check that out. It'll start. Thank you. Yay, shameless plug. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Mike's giving us the thumbs up over there. You did a great job. And mm-hmm. you did a great job talking with us about uh, the Alice stories today. We had a really great time. Uh, so I am Tori from the Cosmere Deep Dive podcast. Uh, and this is Dave. Are you going to say anything, Dave? Apparently not. <laughs> and we hope you've enjoyed our discussion of Lewis Carroll's Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Good night. Good night. Good night, Good night Internet. Internet.